we're back. Welcome to Much to Discuss, a weekly conversation between the talented, amazing, beautiful Kelly O'Shea and me, <laughs> Steph Swan, <laughs> tackling the culture content news and topics we've been absorbing this week. Now, that clearly has a bit of an asterisk because this hasn't been a weekly conversation for some time and yeah. it hasn't only been this week we've been absorbing topics. It's been a minute. Truly. Where in the world are you right now, Steph? I am in Australia, Brisbane, to be exact. We're here for a minute. It's beautiful. It's warm. We're not paying rent. So that's lovely because, you know, we've regressed into living back with mum and dad. So that's what everyone needs at 30 with their husband and new puppy. <laughs> the new puppy was a very soft launch just now. My little devil child, who is a fur <laughs> child, he's a little dog. His name is Ernie. We called him Ernie because my mum and dad have a dog called Bert and they're the same breed and they look so funny together and they are Bert and Ernie. And my little furball acts like an introvert and then goes psycho when he's comfortable and loves to push the boundaries as puppies do. And he's the cutest little thing. So life's great. He did have me up at 5.30 this morning. So cute, right? But yeah, Seb and I are obsessed with him. It's very cute seeing them together. Actually, I think you enjoyed one of those videos, Kelly, of Seb and Ernie together. I'm obsessed with the content. There's nothing like anyone getting a puppy because is just so cute like I would just be dying every day I feel like if I was you my jaw is really sore because I have to clench it instead of squeezing him to like death <laughs> he's so cute just every day how much it's... prep work did you have to do to figure out how to train him mom had trained Bert two years ago so she was like here's all the YouTube videos here's what you do here like she had all the gear from when Bert was a puppy so that's partly why we got him now mm. because we have their help we do want him to be very well trained so he's crate training he's right now in his little playpen having some independent playtime which he didn't used to love very much yeah we're taking him out in his little carrier he's too young he can't be on the ground so there's like a little sling thing it's for cats I think but obviously he's a puppy so he fits in it and he often rolls around and he's got like one arm hanging out the side it's very funny <laughs> oh, I'll post some photos so on the Instagram for those interested but he's tiny he looks like a teddy bear i just can't believe literally your life was new york three month european adventure australia parents house dog do you feel like you're at home now is it feeling like the dust is settled or not yet in some ways i think until we move down to melbourne it won't feel completely settled it's still a bit of an interim phase but it's really lovely and easy life is very easy at the moment particularly as I will start working soon, but <laughs> not just yet. So yeah, that's life for me. I mean, there was a Europe adventure, phenomenal. There's just so much to say and I don't want to bore people, Kelly. They want to hear from you. Like what's <laughs> what's been going on in yeah, Europe? Let's see. I got back to New York from Paris this summer. I feel like now in a really good way, I got back to a New York version of boring, which is still eating, yeah. drinking and socializing all the time. But I'm going back to my own apartment at the end of the day and like waking up at a normal hour, yeah. normal hours again. And so that's, I mean, honestly, it's been really nice being back. I feel like being away for the summer gave me a renewed sense of enjoyment of the city and settled me back into another nice little routine. So it's been good. Yeah. It's been good, like getting back to a lot of my people. Oh, a lot of your people. That's interesting. I 
Okay, I literally was just about to say, obviously I miss you two desperately and I'm never in Brooklyn. And I went over the other day for a So Far show and on my way home, I was just walking down the street and I had a single tear that escaped my <laughs> eye. <laughs> I was gonna say, did you cry? Yeah, I did, of course. Also, I had to walk through McCarran Park. I feel like I can very publicly say where you two used to live because yeah. first of all, we're not celebrities. And second of all, you don't live there anymore. <laughs> no one gives a shit. I had like a very classic New York day yesterday in just interactions with New York people, which I feel like you'll appreciate. I went to my pottery class and my pottery teacher gave me some farm fresh eggs from his chicken coop that he has at home. And then on my way home, I was walking to a slice of pizza and a homeless man came sprinting up to me straight on. Oh, sprinting. That's so overwhelming. And going full out arms, (laughs) screaming. Waving for those who can't see Kelly, which is everyone listening. Yeah, my bad. (laughs) She just put her arms in the air and waved them. I always forget this is an audio medium, (laughs) but he came up to me screaming, going, ah. And so I jumped out of the way and screamed. And he went, boo, scared you. That's so good. That's my summary of New York City. Farm fresh eggs in the early evening and scared by a homeless man at night. He was harmless, but like. He was just having some vomits. (laughs) Well, I feel like there's almost too much to cover. So we maybe will just drip feed it over time in kind of the updates chat portions because we really don't know where to start. The good news is you and I stopped traveling together. So we didn't have any more disastrous days of traveling. (laughs) But I did actually, I saw something on TikTok, of course. And (laughs) I wanted to put you on the spot as usual and ask you this question it's actually maybe deep and reflective or you'll probably take it and make it a hilarious spin but how would you describe yourself using only three words oh god um and no i've already done this exercise me describing you and me describing me so i will be seeing uh, uh warm silly and curious love it I yeah. feel like that's really good. I had for you hilarious, so uh-huh. silly. Yes. That's <laughs> it's bumping in the air. Again, when your friends say you're funny. I said lovable, which is kind of warm. Uh-huh. And then the last one I had smart or open. I couldn't think of a word that did both, so I cheated. Ooh. Well, like, I think curious is a probably good synopsis, but I guess curious in my head doesn't always imply like intelligence, but I guess all intelligent people are generally curious. So I guess we can land on. I love open though. That's a good one. Yeah. I want to do yours before you do your own. Yeah. Smart. What's like, not just smart though. Can you do two words and do like intellectually curious? (laughs) I guess it's intellectually exploratory, (laughs) loyal and fierce i had fierce that's so did you (laughs) yeah Yeah. i had fierce we know why (laughs) (laughs) i had passionate yeah and then i had i think for my last one i couldn't decide i was like unique weird confident capable i'm like one of those yeah three words isn't enough it definitely is it's more like i couldn't figure out passionate and fierce felt like a clear i like loyal we can go with loyal it encapsulates like relationships are incredibly important to you and you're like you love your your people very fiercely oh i guess it goes into fierce but they're all connected isn't it so funny and i think i feel like usually how we see ourselves is very different from how others see us but i think because of our relationship it's more aligned because we have those conversations 
a lot. That's true. Yeah. And we do a podcast together. But it's a fun exercise. I encourage everyone to even reflect on it for yourself because it's identity outside of your profession or where you live or what you like to do. It's kind of goes to what do you think your core characteristics, I guess, Mm -hmm. values in some senses are, though it's kind of not values because it's really like personality. I wonder if anyone we know or anyone in our circles would describe themselves as a New Yorker in one of their three words. Probably. And New Yorkers would probably be up in arms about it because none of us are born and raised in New York. (laughs) That's true. That is true. I wonder how that would differ with people. I'm going to have to ask all my friends this. That was my little fun update chat preamble for you. I know you have a story for me. I do. I was wondering if you wanted to hear my most idiotic moment of the week. I mean, always. And I feel (laughs) like we're just giving the people what they want. Okay. So I was in a conversation with a friend and we were talking about space, which I will say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Do you know very much about space? No. You might be in the same. All I know is that like we have some low orbit satellites that are controlled by Elon Musk that help us get internet through Starlink. And that we obviously have space exploration beyond that. You might know enough to be upset with me. (laughs) So we were talking about space and I just got to thinking and my, and I was like, huh, you know, I wonder how many flags the astronauts brought to Mars when they landed there to put down in the Mars atmosphere, like just in case anything was to happen to all. the original flag they wanted to put down. Like who knows what the material composition of that flag would need to be. So you're very focused on how did they create a flag that could be lasting and like impale Mars. Yeah, that's That's where your mind's at. Okay. That's correct. (laughs) They look at me and go, astronauts haven't been to Mars before. And I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, no, astronauts have never landed on Mars. And I was so shocked. I was like, are you sure? Yeah, I was going to say, I know you. And your response would have been like, I think you're wrong. You have such a confidence in areas you should have no confidence in. Absolutely none. Yep. I literally, I was like, are you 100% sure? They were like, yeah, 100% certain that astronauts have not been to Mars. And if they did tomorrow, it would be front page news. And I was like, you know what? If astronauts landed on Mars tomorrow and it was front page news, I literally would be like, so what? We've done that before. I would be like, uh, not worth discussing. Turn the page. Only little rovers have been to Mars, like robots. Steph, if you had asked me before this conversation how many planets we've landed on, <laughs> I would have thought a lot of them. I was like, you, all of them. You're like, we've done all of them. <laughs> Not all of them because I do, I gave it some thought too. I was like, why did I think this so confidently? Because after this conversation, I did find out that we've only landed on the moon. That was a big shock to me. I'm kind of a little, what is NASA doing? Yeah, it's a lot of money to only go in one place. I mean, a lot of astronauts. And like people made that seem like that was a very viable career path, but there's only one planet you can land on. Yeah, and listen, the moon isn't really a selling point for me. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, it's pretty bright. Couldn't and agree more. Doesn't really seem to have a lot going on there. I will say, I did reflect and I was like, I wonder where I found this source of information. And I'm, 99% certain it's because I saw the movie The Martian with Matt Damon. Oh my god. <laughs> you are special. And that's maybe enough rambling for now. Yeah, you're right. Well, Kel, as this is always your segment of our show, 
And again, I could be abreast of this because I don't work right now. So <laughs> I do have a puppy and that is taking up a lot of my time. But what do you have for me in pop culture? Well, as you may or may not know, Halloween was on Tuesday of this week. <laughs> okay, I, I live under a rock, but I was aware. You were aware, but also what did you do to celebrate or acknowledge Halloween? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and in hindsight, I have regret of not getting Ernie a costume because he's tiny and it would have been really cute. Yeah, that would have been adorable. That was a huge missed opportunity. Well, Auntie Kelly didn't post any costumes over for him, so that's I don't know if that's really my fault or if it's yours. <laughs> no, honestly, now that you mention it, I'm devastated at the missed opportunity. So, no, I was aware, and it is surprisingly more in Australia than it was when I was growing up. Like, my feed was full of, you know, cute little babies in costume, families dressed up, people looking like they were wearing a bit fewer clothing. Yep. <laughs> It's a bit of a mixed bag at 30, checking your feed on Halloween, I will say. It is. It is amongst the celebrities as well, because Heidi Klum had her annual Halloween party, which is a big deal. I don't know if you know about that or not. But I had zero clue that was a thing. You don't remember her dressing up as a giant earthworm last year? Not at all. You're kidding me. I have to send you all the content. It was like an extremely viral moment. But this year she showed up to her annual Halloween party as a peacock. So she had like a whole troop of other people that made up her feathers and the rest of her body. She was dressed as a bird. And very notably, her husband was dressed as an egg. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So very entertaining. Other celebrity costumes. I feel like people were more straightforward this year it was pretty classic costumes like the beavers were flintstones characters paris hilton okay. did the look from britney spears toxic video my favorite outfit random kiki palmer was eve from life size do you remember that movie with tyra banks not at all i didn't know tyra banks was an actress she was in one movie with lindsay lohan called life size the whole premise of the movie is that a doll becomes a real life human oh there you go yeah. So kind of like Barbie adjacent then. Yes. And then yeah, um, I feel like maybe these days because we're all so much more cognizant of what is appropriate to yeah. wear as a costume, that's also maybe why it's simplified. Yeah. There's maybe definitely been a shift in what celebrities have decided to wear or not to wear for Halloween. They were good. They obviously used their monetary disposal. Yeah. It's less impressive when you have probably a dedicated team who are like out to help you dress up. Heidi Klum probably starts planning now. A year in advance. Yeah. Let me ask you this then. What were you for Halloween? I was Glinda from the musical Wicked, which I know you haven't seen nor listened yeah. to any of the music for. And my friend Sophie was Alphaba. So it was very timely because they just celebrated their 20th anniversary of the musical. Cute. It was very well received. A couple of years ago, I was Beth Harmon from Queen's Gambit. And that is my most recent slay of a costume, I think. That's good. I'm yeah. expecting big things from you next year then. And yeah. that a costume arrives for Ernie in the mail. Done. What else do you have for me? My next piece of news, on a much sadder note, Matthew Perry died on October 28th at 54 years old, most known for his role as Chandler in Friends, and has been mourned all week by fans and celebrity friends alike. I live near where the Friends apartment is, like where they shoot it from the outside, and yeah. there are just flowers everywhere. People are really yeah. sad by this, and even my friends. I've gotten so many texts from friends being like, why am I hit so hard? 
by this celebrity death. It's so sad. I feel like I heard someone say that, or maybe even he was quoted saying this at some point in time, that people would be shocked but not surprised if he were to have Mm. died in like an untimely fashion. I don't know. I think Friends was such a cult show. And as the title of the show indicates, like you felt like they were your friends. Yeah. And that's probably why it hits so hard to home because so close to home. Yeah. (laughs) It really feels personal, even though it shouldn't be. And I think, you know, you may have experienced this too. Like when I first moved to New York, I rewatched all of Friends and had my own quasi experience with really, really close friends of mine where we literally were either living together, cycling through the same apartment, all had keys to the same apartment. It was default. We were seeing each other every night. We had a bar that was like, if we weren't responding to our texts and someone was coming to meet us, they'd just go there and know we'd be like on a table out the back. Like it was very of that time and living in New York, I understood it more and like really got how you do make family of your friends, especially in big cities or if you're not living near your actual family. And probably so many people relate to that show and really see those characters as real humans who played a role in their lives. So it's... That's so true. And he was so close to the character of Chandler, which I feel like he's emphasized so many times, even his mannerisms and everything in the show were so him in real life. Yeah, and I think because he has been so open with his journey and, you know, he did his autobiography or memoir, Mm -hmm. whatever it's called, and talked about his struggles and his addiction. And so it's really sad. 54 is young. Like the older I get, the more I realize that's so young. So young. I hope it's a reminder that, you know, to everyone, we're never promised tomorrow. Yeah. It's so corny and you hear it all the time. I had a dear friend to me had really sad news this week. They're close family friends and it's just a reminder, like you never think it's going to happen to you or your loved one. Hug people, tell them you love them as you think about them. If you listen to a podcast or if you see something that reminds you of them, like just send it to them. Just communicate and I guess make sure the people you love know you love them. Yeah, that was very well said. It's very sad. Incredibly sad. And the next one I have for you is Sophie Turner was spotted kissing an aristocrat. Is it aristocrat? I keep on wanting to say aristocrat. (laughs) I would be really fucking weird if she was kissing an aristocrat. What is that? What Disney movie is that from? Is it from the movie Cats? Probably. The Aristocats is a 1970 American animated romantic musical comedy film by Walt Disney Productions. So you were right. The Aristocats. That's so funny. So he's an aristocrat. I forget that people like that exist. So this is just like high society. Is he Parisian? Um, Or is he English? I feel like aristocrat must be English. Yeah, it said, (laughs) I wrote down his full description because I thought that you could maybe help me decipher it. It said, he is the first son of the fourth Viscount Cowdray and the heir apparent to his family's publishing and education company. So here's what I can tell you. I descended from the convicts who were exiled (laughs) in the UK as an Australian. That's, I I mean, I don't actually really know, but let's assume that's true. All I can tell you is that's a fancy way of saying he comes from generational wealth. Yeah. And will inherit a fortune. Good for And that's it. Is he cute? He's really cute. Oh. I think. Let me know what you think. Ew, Kelly. You don't think he's cute? He's not cute at all. I think he's cute. Okay, I will say I actually don't remember. I think you just think he's, like, rich. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he's not ugly, but he's certainly not cute. 
Peregrine, is that his name? I don't know. I didn't How look do you up say that? I'm not sure. I think it's a really nice rebound from Joe Jonas, though. I think they kind of stitched him up maybe in the photo they used in that article. Mm. He looks cute here. Hold on, I'll send it to you. Mm. You get it, girl. Oh, yeah, that's way better. So, okay. Sophie Turner kissing a new boy. Very exciting. I just don't get, like, good on celebrities who can seem to move on from a marriage within a matter of weeks. I feel like it takes regular humans, like, three years <laughs> to rebound. That's true. Well, what do they say about celebrity marriages that it's, like, 10 years in a celebrity marriage is a lifetime in oh. any other? So oh, maybe I believe that. I mean, if you've got, like, perpetual options and people throwing themselves at you... Yeah. You just like have to say yes for most people. Well, she's young. Isn't she like she's 27 or something? Yeah. She's ready to get back out there. She's not messing around. Yeah. We got to get that bag for the kids. <laughs> she already she has, has her, her own bag. <laughs> yeah. Ellie. That's actually so true. She does not need this Viscount as I do. <laughs> and so she should let him go. Yeah. I think you were the next in line. So she is really ruining your opportunity. Picturing you in high society it brings me well. more joy than I can even express. Because you would be a true fish out of water. Yeah. They would love you. No. But you would <laughs> commit every faux pas. I think that's how they say it. Yes. Under the sun. It would not be good. I would not be allowed <laughs> to marry into the family. You'd be like, so what's everyone going as for Halloween this year? Literally. Aristocats don't do Halloween. <laughs> You like go as an aristocrat. Do I have a clever idea for you guys this year? A litter of aristocrats. <laughs> okay, that's actually such a good idea. Yep. I'm glad we resolved that one. Yeah. I feel like you normally have four things for me. Do you have I have one last one? one. Yeah, I guess oh. they're pretty quick today. The last one is that Kim Kardashian revealed her latest Skims product in a commercial, and it is the ultimate push-up nipple bra, which is a bra that has nipples that appear as though they're hard wait clarifying question here yeah are they like a hole for your actual nip itself no. or they're like built-in nipples built-in nipples fake nipples but why it's like a, it's a push-up why are we doing that, this gosh you just wants it to look like it's cold all the time oh i see, I see. but it was okay. that was a thing in the 90s like there are a couple of friends Oh, yeah sex in the city Instagram. yeah and sex in the city i thought that was actually just their nipples some of it, yes, but there were nipple bras as well back in the day. There we go. Will you be buying a nipple bra? No, but you know what? Never say never, I guess. Unfortunately, not well endowed in the boob department, so I'm just going to fly free as usual. <laughs> so I'll just free the nip. Is, yeah. Is yeah. On that. <laughs> I think, you know what? If it's Kim Kardashian doing it, I'm sure it's going to sell out and we're going to see everyone with nips Yep, pretty soon. Yeah. So that's the latest in culture for you. I am educated. That was a real ride. That was a yeah, roller coaster. You laughed, you cried. <laughs> we did everything. Okay. And now moving into some more newsworthy topics for the week. Seth, can you fill me in on what's been happening? Happy to. And before we do move into the news topics today, we're going to reference and delve into, we did want to acknowledge the conflict in the Middle East. At a time when everyone is speaking, we feel like we cannot properly represent the Israeli-Palestine conflict. I feel it's important to say I am not Jewish, I am not Palestinian, and I'm not an expert of the geopolitical landscape in the Middle East. So there is nothing of value 
that we can add above and beyond what's already out there. Of course, on a human level, I believe terrorism is never justified. This includes Hamas's acts of terrorism. Hate speech is deplorable and unacceptable. The awful people contributing to this should be held accountable. Innocent civilians that include children, women and men should not face death and unimaginable trauma. Life is precious and the UN calls for de-escalation are urgent and necessary. Beyond that, the only guidance we do have at this time is to just please be mindful of where you're getting your news, check in with your people and donate as you're able to to worthy causes. To our friends listening, we love you. We know this has impacted people in a multitude of ways. And if you have feedback, know we are incredibly open to it, though we do not want to add to anyone's burden. So I really wanted to make sure we said that in the lead into what we will then go on and talk to. Kelly, anything you want to add in your words? No, thank you for articulating that so well. Obviously, we've talked quite a bit about what's happening and it's horrible. And I'm glad that you were able to put that into words. Of course. So lots of love in this really trying and like divisive time in the world for many reasons, but obviously the conflict in the Middle East is everywhere Uh as it should be. And as friends and as humans, we are absorbing it alongside all of you and Yeah, we won't unpack it more than that at this stage. Yeah. So moving us in to the topics we will cover, Mm -hmm. topic one, and we may have talked about this before, it's guns in America. Mm. And so there was a New York Times opinion piece written by Jamal Bowie, probably mispronouncing that as I do with most names. But the headline read, America's rifle fetish is destroying its sense of freedom. And the reason this one stuck out to me is that having lived in America, the concept of freedom seems to be one of the most pivotal foundational elements of what it means to live in America. Would you say that's fair, Cal? Yes, completely. I thought it was quite interesting to read a piece that really wove a tapestry of how there's like an inherent conflict as it relates to guns. Yeah. So this opinion piece was written in light of the recent mass shooting in Lewiston, Maine, which killed 18 innocent people at a bar and a bowling alley, which is beyond devastating. And honestly, an all too frequent headline we see coming out of America. And what the author of this opinion piece does well is, as I said, he kind of weaves the narrative that the very thing marketed to protect being guns Mm -hmm. is the danger itself. That's at least what I take away. So they talk to, there's films that really tell this story as early as, you know, the 40s, there are films on this. And to quote what they write in this article, guns become truly dangerous when they become a fetish, an object worshipped for its supposed power and symbolic meaning. They say that the guns aren't actually totems of freedom, liberty, or youth. They are instruments of death and should be treated accordingly. And I think it's important to really remember that. It's interesting to plant a seed that it's actually maybe not the tool to help you keep your freedom. Mm -hmm. And what I always come back to in my head is that restricting access to guns and this argument that it flies in the face of freedom is just really interesting when, in many respects, the public good should outweigh your personal sense of freedom. Meaning, like, 
Why is the ban of people owning hand grenades not diminishing sense of freedom? Why is slowing down in a school zone? Why is requiring a license to operate a vehicle? Why is murder? <laughs> I mean, this is silly, but as we know, like laws are in place when the public good should outweigh your sense of personal freedom. At least that's my perspective. I guess what I'm interested in, Cal, like you've grown up, you're American, you've grown up in this environment. This is really all you know. Right. How do you feel about this topic? Yeah, I feel like I think everyone has a first notable mass shooting that really stands out to them. And I do think that that probably is a little bit generational. And because of my age and being 29, I was in college when Sandy Hook happened. And I think that that probably would be a shared one by a number of people because it was kids and it was. Do you know that I was in Vietnam at that time and I was devastated by that as an Australian who'd been to America once or twice? Yeah. That very much stays with me. I just want to put like, it's so sad to hear that probably everyone in America growing up has a moment that has stayed with them relating to a mass shooting. What I can tell you is that feels quite unique. Yeah, compared to your experience. Well, because we've talked about this personally, at least before, but the fact that Australia has the vast, vast majority of guns outlawed, besides if you're a farmer, I think is the one circumstance. Well, it's interesting you go there because that's what I wanted to bring up. It is worth remembering that America is an outlier and it can be different. And I haven't been proud of Australia lately. We had a referendum that failed. It's not relevant for now, but something I am proud of my country for is what their response was to gun violence and how Australia instituted sweeping federal laws in a bipartisan step to restrict completely the use of particular guns. And I've got it actually quoted. I don't know guns at all. They were able to enforce like a mandatory buyback and they flat out banned certain kinds of guns like automatic and semi-automatic rifles and shotguns. Mm. And this happened in response to a mass shooting in 1996. And there hasn't been one since in our country. Yeah. So there is hope there can be change. Obviously, in a country the size of the US, with the NRA having as much money behind them, with people feeling passionately about guns as an extension to themselves as people do, it's definitely not straightforward. And obviously, the Second Amendment comes into the conversation more often than not. Right. I was wondering, because I obviously, in in looking at thinking about this and researching this, I looked up exactly what the Second Amendment actually says. Do you know what it says, Cal? Is it right, the right to bear arms? That's part of it. What's the rest of it? The full Second Amendment is a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Interesting. And so that's where there becomes obviously a lot of conjecture. So it goes without saying that the interpretation of the constitution differs dependent on the expert or the individual because some people interpret it exactly as it's intended to be understood in the context of the time it was written. Some interpret it as that was the context at the time. Here's where we live in a society today. This is where some people argue that pre the establishment of government and governance and the police systems, the FBI, the CIA, the police force, Mm. there may have been a time in which the militia was responsible for, you know, keeping law and order 
in check. Some people argue that this really is around the right to bear arms in relation to a free state before the things that exist in 2023 were about. Yeah. And then obviously people interpret that as just the right to bear arms at an individual level, which means the defence of your property or what have you, defence yeah. against an intruder, et cetera, et cetera. I think I've said this before, we evolve in society across everything, sticking to what something meant many, many, many decades ago yeah. doesn't make sense to me as an individual. Yeah, I'm not American, I'm not going to vote in this change, but I think it's worth reminding people that it isn't just a reality that has to exist. There right. are other systems and processes that have been adopted successfully in other countries that arrest this kind of trauma and fear in yeah. society. So we will link out to where I found the Constitution and that statement as it was written. <laughs> There's health data too around the gun violence in the United States and it being a true outlier in kind of developed countries and also an article in Vox that really unpicks like Australia's buyback system and this article in Vox I think was written after Uvalde, the devastating death of again children. This article was written to kind of highlight how it could be different and what Australia did to address gun violence. Mm -hmm. Any closing thoughts on your end, Kel? This is all, I mean, it's just awful. I, I'm glad that you have those resources and I need to take a read through them because I think it's just at the point now, you're right, the headlines aren't even surprising and it honestly just makes me feel disenchanted by the entire country of America knowing how much money gun organizations have and feeling very helpless on what there is that I can do or that there will be any significant change without something absolutely horrible and devastating happening to cause it, which already has. So, right. If the things that already have happened aren't enough, then I don't know what could be because yeah. the worst has, is happening. Yeah. I think it's just when there's enough people who see a path to shifting that, that change is created. So if people have also organizations they donate to, a part of, that are trying to help address this issue, let us know. Definitely. All right, moving on to the second news topic, AI. We haven't talked about AI very much on this. I don't think and so. I think that's a topic that you can't really miss in this day and age. And it's in headlines, I would say, most week. But what is unique to this week is that there is a summit happening in the UK right now. And it's really global leaders trying to get a handle on AI. Mm -hmm. So delegates from 27 governments, including China and the US, are gathering in the UK for two days to talk about how to regulate AI. It really comes off the back of governments scrambling to address the risk posed by this really fast evolving technology since ChatGPT kind of entered our lives and demonstrated how the latest models are advancing in unpredictable ways. It is a crazy time to be alive. And of course, as with every kind of change that happens, there are opportunities and there are big risks. So in one of the articles that we'll link in the show notes, they talk about how AI systems could help accelerate the diagnosis of disease, combat climate change, streamline manufacturing processes. But they also present dangers. 
-hmm. in terms of job losses, disinformation and national security. And this is why, you know, there needs to be some consensus around how we as a civilization put guardrails around AI mm -hmm. because some of the risks are there may be bad actors that perform cyber attacks, they design biological or chemical weapons. There's a lot that can happen right. in the future. And so in this, you know, there are world leaders and there are also executives from leading tech companies, Google DeepMind, IBM, Meta, Microsoft, OpenAI, quite a few people in this room. There is something though that caught my attention. There's an article in The Guardian that referenced a an open letter to the AI summit and to the Prime Minister of the UK because that's who's hosting this summit. And these signatories essentially said, your global summit on AI safety seeks to tackle the transformational risks and benefits of AI, acknowledging that AI will fundamentally alter the way we live, work and relate to one another. Yet the communities and workers most affected by AI have been marginalised by the summit. They're essentially saying they think the summit is a missed opportunity. The commentary around it is that it's more talk than action. Mm -hmm. Something to pay attention to kind of as there's more conclusions walking away. I will obviously link the summit open letter. Yeah. It is signed by some pretty heavy hitters in this community, as far as I can tell. You've got people, Neil Lawrence, who is the University of Cambridge DeepMind professor on machine learning and senior AI fellow at the Alan Turner Institute, and the likes of Tabitha Goldstab, who's the former chair of the AI Council. So this list is long. I encourage people to go and look at it, but a lot of people have signed it and effectively said it's going to fall short because the right people aren't in. And I think it's really important, right? Because if I come back to why do I care? What does this mean to me? Mm. The reason we need the right voices in the room globally is because AI doesn't know any borders. Right. And that's part of the risk of it, right? So it's been reported, and this is probably a natural conclusion a lot of people can draw, if certain countries put restrictions in their legal systems, it may mean they fall behind in terms of the advancements of this technology as other countries potentially leap forward. Mm -hmm. So that is a risk that a lot of these governments are trying to balance is that, yes, we know we need to put guardrails in place, but also we don't want to put too many guardrails that we're alone right. in how this tech stagnates and maybe doesn't evolve at the rate at which other countries may have an environment that allows it to continue to leapfrog. It'll be interesting to see what kind of ideas and thinking comes out, but what, what feels really important is that a lot of people who are involved in the very creation of yeah. AI are now really warning that it may be the end of us. Yeah. <laughs> so the global we, scale of it feels really scary too. I was just trying to think as you were talking, if there is any global system, product, service, or company that operates well with restrictions that it has on a global scale. And I can't think of anything. Yeah, no. It's kind of like we went to the in Brussels, we went to where the EU was kind of formed. Mm. And that's the closest thing I can think of is like global alliances and agreeing kind of here's the rules of play. Yeah. Other than having global powers that keep everyone in check, this is in my mind quite net new that there is this thing that is already in day-to-day -day lives of people with access to internet that is also has limitless potential in terms of what it could mean 
I mean, you come back to kind of the discovery of like nuclear power and how we've addressed that in the world, which is like brokering here's who can have right that kind of technology and how do we do that on something like AI, which in of itself is arguably senient. And right. who knows if we can even control it is the other thing. I'm happy that really smart people are very passionate about this topic and trying to forge forward on this frontier of AI. And hopefully <laughs> there is some consensus around the protections that we need for every country in the world. Yeah. I'm going to be reading a lot more about this. We will link some of these articles. Please send us things that you're reading if you as our listener are really interested and dialed in on this topic. It is, I think, one of those things that we really, really can't appreciate, like the magnitude of change ahead of time because yeah. it's hard to envision how this will transform society. The same way the tech revolution, the industrial revolution, the agricultural revolution kind of made the world unrecognisable thereafter. Yeah. We're only in the beginning. Thank you for the education, Steph. <laughs> As always, I walk out of this smarter and we'll be talking to everyone I know about it all week. Then we can move ourselves into the sandwich. The, the other side of the sandwich, the upper, the content wrecks we have in store. As normal, we're going to finish off on what is normally a high note because it's content. That's so this right. is articles, shows, movies, podcasts, all those things we're taking in. Hit me with your first, Cal. Okay. Britney Spears released a memoir this week and she posted wow. She posted on Tuesday its release date stating that it's already the highest selling celebrity memoir in history. I'm about halfway through it myself and the tone is shockingly approachable put together and chatty to the point that i do wonder if she had a ghostwriter which no shame like i would certainly need a ghostwriter if i was writing my own memoir i don't um, know if you would but i hear you i mean i feel like yeah. not many celebrities write their memoirs standalone no ghostwriter i feel like if you have a ghostwriter the ghostwriter's name should go on the cover or at least in like the byline yeah I don't even know what a byline is, but <laughs> yeah, like it doesn't at least inside the, inside the cover being like, thanks to my actual writer. Yeah. Did she write all her songs back in the day? I do not think so. Okay. She doesn't, like, doesn't let's mention say, it. Like, if Taylor Swift in a memoir, wow, I bought her up. But like she writes her music. So you would yeah. think that that could translate. There are people I think of that I'm like, if you write as part of your creative expression, Yes. It's more realistic. But that doesn't make you a novelist. All I know is that writing a book is 50 times harder than what anyone would think. Completely. Interesting. Okay, so it's good. What are you learning about? What is the content actually teaching you? So the book in its entirety is supposed to cover her conservatorship relationship and breakup from Justin Timberlake and more, including her relationship with her family, her upbringing, her music career, etc. But my takeaways halfway through are, first of all, it is just incredibly sad how the media treated and portrayed her oh. and the standards they kept her up against as a young woman in her reflecting on it it's crazy like i don't it's think really, i realized it's disgusting how we treated women in the public eye and still do to yes. be fair but back then you see some of the glimpses of talk show hosts the stuff they would say to her asking about her virginity yes her breasts yes. her everything it was just vile that's the only word that comes to mind the stalking anytime i watch 
any documentary of a celebrity or read any of their books, I'm like, being a celebrity seems like hell on earth. Yeah, it seems awful. To be honest. Yes, you live in beautiful houses. You can, the materialistic part of it seems fun and like the experiences, you can have experiences money can't buy. Yes. But the loss of agency, privacy, respect, anonymity, all of that just does not seem worth it. No, it's crazy. I feel like in the start of the book, when she's starting into her childhood and then grows into becoming more of a star, all she wanted was to sing and perform. And she's, granted, she is a wacky person. Yeah. But at the core of it, she just loves singing and loves performing. And they completely tore her apart for sport. Yeah. That was horrible. That was the first takeaway. Wow. I'm reminded of watching her, the docu-series or the documentary on her and how like she does seem to just be this really sweet, really innocent. Like she grew up in quite a small town in the US, right? And she just wanted to perform. Like it was really very simple. Yes. And she just got well attacked and destroyed by the media. Yeah. Being in the public eye, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry. And your other takeaway? My other takeaway is that Justin Timberlake sucks. Oh my gosh. (laughs) A Lincoln episode of Cancelled. It's a podcast that I listen to. It's an Australian Mamma Mia. It's a really popular women's podcast. It's called Cancelled. Yeah. um, By Mamma Mia. Anyway, Twin Sisters hosted. It's hilarious. And they do one on Justin Timberlake. They're like, this guy has just failed upwards because he's ruined women's careers along the way and he's paid no price. And at this point, it like perfectly ties into what you just said. So that's very relevant. Yeah. The way that she lays out their relationship and the love she had for him and how everything fell out. He just handled everything so poorly. Broke up with her through a text message. Good sexual thing. Like he was fucked. And she did reveal in the book that she had an abortion while they were together and was discouraged from going to a hospital or to a doctor to have the abortion. And they talk about Justin Timberlake laying on the floor with her as it was happening in her house. At no point was she receiving true medical care. And at some point he goes and grabs his guitar because he thinks that that's going to help and is like strumming the guitar next to her on the floor. And I was like, this is like the nightmare version of Ken serenading Barbie That's from so funny. I will tell you if anyone pulled out a guitar to serenade me, I would leave. Like yeah. I, I don't think I could stand that. Okay? That's so do you recommend more. reading it or you don't know yet? I would. It's really, honestly, it's very readable. Her tone very much comes across in the sweet version of her that you've seen. Okay. I do not think that she wrote it herself, but because of that, it's extremely consumable, I think. Okay. Love it. So that's a good one. And then my second two have just been binges. I binged the Beckham documentary. Oh, and, same. Oh my God, you did? Are you obsessed? Obsessed. Again, big takeaway. Don't get famous. It looks shit. Yeah, the media sucks. Really bad. Also didn't realize how good he actually was at soccer because I just thought he was like a beautiful man that was like decent. Same. But not like actually amazing. Also love Posh. I think she's so funny. So funny. Her saying that she hates soccer. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, it's fine. They're like, even after the triple, treble, whatever, you didn't get into it. And she's like, no. Yeah. Like the I'm biggest good. moment ever in the UK. It's very funny. My favorite part is like when they're starting out and she's like, oh, 
I should get the dog to come sit next to me so I look like a nice person and she like mouths to herself or something yeah. to that end. I was like, I just so appreciate that because she was vilified and is always vilified. And she's never and trying to suck up to be anybody that she's not no. either, which I really appreciated. Well, and also I kind of didn't appreciate that when they first got together, like she was the more famous one. Yeah. Oh yeah. When they first got together. I mean, he's now like, you see what happened when he went to Real Madrid. Yeah. But it looked like painful to be as famous as him because it distracted from everything. Like he essentially, the other part I noticed is I feel like the grown men around him were envious of him. Oh yeah. And like resented him. And I think that's what led to him being sold out of United yeah. It screwed his starting at Real Madrid. Like, it just really impacted it. Yeah. And I will say, I think that, you know, you kind of admire him for to going to the US and being like, all right, let's try this out. And then he's back. You know, yes, he tried to pretty much renege on doing that. But, yeah, I was quite impressed by them as a couple, especially considering the affair that happened and them kind of overcoming that and how hard that would have been. I just can't imagine. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously. Their story so well. Yeah, there's no excuse around him doing that to Victoria. Right. I just have so much respect for her. Same. Like, what a fucking strong woman. Because they got vilified. Yeah, they got annihilated. And her trust was broken. I just, goes to show that like marriages are more complex than I think we like to think of them as. Yeah. At the end of it, I was like, they both seem like they're as down to earth as you can be for being supremely rich and loving spending your money. Oh I, my gosh. I, and how like just are. over the top they are and how much I just love them for that. Like they right. were just the purple, like wedding attire. I was like, I live for this. Obsessed. Dripping in like the watches and the cars and the whatever. It's yeah. hilarious. Also, I just looked at the notes and saw, I didn't see them. And we've, I bought up everything you had already jotted down. <laughs> We're just aligned, you know. I know, we are. So, what else do you have for me? Have you watched The Fall of the House of Usher yet? No. Okay, it is a spooky television show that I would equate to a horror murder mystery version of Succession. Wait, what? Yeah. Is this like Usher as in the singer Usher? I'm so glad you said that. It is not. I. Oh. <laughs> it's like, wait, why is... Did Usher fall? I'm confused. No, that's actually, that is why I started it. And I've talked to a lot of people about this. I was like, wow, a documentary about Usher, how unexpected and interesting. I would love to watch that. And so I started it. And for the first 10 minutes of the first episode, I did think it was about Usher. And in the first two minutes, there's a ghost in it. So like, I was just like, maybe that's Usher's mom. Like I, it didn't hit me until a little bit too late. When you said spooky, I was literally like, why are you describing, like, what did Usher do? Oh, my God. No, it is. So there's eight episodes. I watched it in two days, and I got back from my cousin's engagement party last week at, I don't even know, like, one o'clock in the morning with my other cousin. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I have to watch the finale of The Fall of the House of Usher because I was so obsessed. So I recommend it. I don't know. It's good murder mystery bingeable content. Like I haven't binged anything in ages. I love that. Yeah. I'm going to watch it and then we can talk more about it. (gasps) Yay. Okay. I'm excited. That's all I have for content. Yay. And it's probably good we're wrapping up because I've had my puppy in a pen, a playpen, everybody. He's had plenty of toys and he has room. He just (laughs) has to be alone. So I better go get him. But Cal, 
it's been real. This was like the best catch up. Yeah, I know. It's great. And to our listeners, we will be reliable from here on out. That's our promise to you in that we will drop an episode. We will let you know when there is gaps in the programming because we're just but two girls, two women <laughs> recording a pod. <laughs> but we want to keep making this bigger and better. So flood us with your love. I want constructive feedback. Kelly doesn't. So don't send that to her. And yeah, keep keep it all coming. I've missed this. I've missed chit-chatting away with you, Kel. Same. Bye, everyone. Bye. We'll see you next week.